Hey guys, today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Lorenzotti Coffee. You know them well by now. They are our oldest and longest running sponsor. We love these guys. We love their premium Italian coffee that they deliver right to your door. So do yourself a favor. Get your morning started right with the taste of freedom. Go to lorenzotti.coffee and use promo code FICTION so they know I sent you. And you'll get 10% off your order. That's Lorenzotti. L-O-R-E as in Edward, N is in Nancy, Z is in Zebra, O-T-T-I dot coffee, promo code FICTION. Get all of your coffee and coffee supplies from these guys. There are two liberty-minded entrepreneurs that came together over their love of coffee and their love of liberty. And not only are they fans of the show, but they've gone above and beyond the call of duty as a sponsor. So go order some coffee, order an espresso machine, get a coffee grinder, do it all at lorenzotti.coffee, promo code FICTION. All right, let's start the show. Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceilings does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. Hope everyone's doing well today. It is Thursday, March 11th, 2021, for anybody keeping track. <laughs> uh, this episode will drop tomorrow, though, on Friday, so you will get this. Uh, well, assuming Justin does his job, I'm putting him to work this week uh, because I have a, a special guest interview for today. So you're not getting just yours truly today. I'm bringing on Gus from Photo IQ. You may have heard his ads running on our show over the, the last uh, year or so. He's been a great sponsor for us. And he's been working on a really cool project that I think you guys might be interested in. And so we're going to shoot the breeze today, talk a little bit about photography and homeschooling and um, his special project that he's working on that I don't want to spoil yet. So um, that's what we're going to do today. So um, I don't know if I have any announcements. Let me try to think. <laughs> As you can tell, I did a lot of show prep today. Yeah, you know, um, just that. We're, we're still doing the, the Friday night happy hours, so you can become a supporting listener of the show by going to peddlingfictionpodcast.com, set up a monthly recurring donation, and that will get you in to the, uh, the happy hour group. We do it every other Friday, so not tomorrow, but the following Friday, we'll get together for some cocktails and a little sunset here in PV. It's a lot of fun. You guys are, are really missing out if you're not a part of that group yet, so you should definitely go and do that. But otherwise, I think that's about it. So let's just bring him on without uh, you know, further ado. Here is Gus of Photo IQ. Gus, what's going on? Welcome to the show. 
Hey, I'm uh, happy to be here. Thanks for thanks for bringing me on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Well, we've we've talked a couple times in the uh, at the Friday night happy hours. You've been popping in and out, which is kind of cool to, yeah. to put a name with the face. But you are the man behind Photo IQ, one of our sponsors for the show. That's right. Tell us a little bit about that and what's been going on. Uh, so Photo IQ is a culmination of all of my knowledge from close to 20 years of being a professional photographer. And um, I was homeschooled as a student starting from fifth grade on, and that gave me the opportunity to kind of pursue the things that I was interested in. And I kind of got into photography in a weird way because I first got into martial arts and my sensei was actually a wedding photographer. And so he asked if I wanted to just come in a system. So I, I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds like a fun gig. And, you know, it's like, it's kind of weird as a 15 year old, you're making pretty good money on a Saturday night when all your friends are just kind of just messing around, not making anything. And uh, I had always been very entrepreneurial as a kid. My dad owned his own business and um, yeah, I, grew up, I grew up very blue collar. So it was, it was kind of fun for me to make money taking pictures rather than digging ditches and stacking firewood, which is what I did previously and continued to do for many years after that. So um, taking that kind of self-starter mentality into the career, and I was always just looking for a new way to turn my skills into a paying gig, um, which is, I think, kind of a lost art in many ways today. And, um, you know, we want to try to revive that entrepreneurial spirit in America instead of always trying to find uh, how either the government or some corporation or big business can take care of you and pay your way. Uh, it really should be about how we can make our own way and try to master skills to turn that into a, a profitable career. And even if it's not a career, it could be something that's just self-enriching that you enjoy to do to pursue for self-enrichment. That is totally acceptable. You know, there are a lot of things that we do that aren't monetizable, but there are things that we like to do because they bring enjoyment to our lives and you should feel freedom to pursue those things. So I created Photo IQ because I was trying to reinvigorate people's uh, creative spirit to go out and make things for themselves and to teach them a skill that is uh, often very technical and complicated. And, you know, I started when I was 15, uh, got into uh, taking night classes with um, a professional um, you know, assignment photographer for newspapers and magazines in the air. Uh, in the area. It, I grew up in Southern Connecticut. So, it, you know, in the New York metro area. And uh, I was just really interested by the idea that you could get paid to go on assignments to, to shoot news or events that were happening, um, you know, the, and get paid to do that. I just thought that was the coolest thing. So I pursued that um, and went to college. I went to art school at Purchase College in, in New York, to State University of New York. And uh, that was actually a fine art program. And when I got into the fine art program, I learned that there was barely any emphasis on fundamentals of how to make good photos, how to run a business, the practical things like what do you do with insurance? How do you bid for things? How do you, you know, how do you set a budget for yourself? Like you don't learn any of that stuff. You take these really weird photos and then you critique each other and just be like, I hate that or I love it or whatever. And there's stuff on the wall that, you know, again, growing up really blue collar, I would just see stuff that was just super out there. Like there's absolutely no value whatsoever to me. 
with this stuff. And then you'd have your classmates, your peers just be like, I think that's so cool. <laughs> and I'm just like completely not getting it at all. Uh, it took me a long time. Now I finally have way more of a, an abstract sensibility for things now. And there are some weird things that I like. Um, but you know, going through that program first, there's just so much of it that doesn't make any sense. So I was inspired to create photo IQ because I wanted to give people real tangible skills and have to explain these technical difficult things uh, so that literally anyone can understand it. So whenever I go through the lessons, I always explain things using photo examples from my, my 18, 19, 20 year career traveling around the world and doing corporate assignments and commercial editorial magazines, food. I've done so many different things. Um, I can take those examples and then explain how I got those shots, tell a little story about where I was or maybe who I, who I met in the Philippines or Cambodia or you know, Singapore, the different places that I've been, um, keep it entertaining, keep it moving, and still then explain uh, how these things work in a way that makes sense to different kinds of learners. You know, there are people who are really tactile learners, like they need to hold and see things to know how they work. There's other people who are fine with just reading a written description and it makes sense to them. You know, that's, that doesn't work for everybody. So I try two or three different approaches for all the different um, topics that we cover. And I think I do a pretty good job. Yeah, well, man, it certainly sounds like a dream job to be able to travel the world and take pictures of, of food and, and nature and stuff like that. Cause yeah. I mean, that's basically what people do on vacation and, yeah. and you get to do it for a living. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I couldn't have said that earlier part better myself, where it's just you're not relying on somebody else for your livelihood. You know, right. I, th I think we have this, the whole system that we get sort of funneled through like cattle from the, the second we're born, yep. where it's like you go to school and then you go to high school and then you go to college and then you get, you know, your first job and then you yep. save up for retirement and then you retire. And I think that whole thing is backwards and it, it's an antiquated a system. And it's not, you know, people think you have security when you have a, a corporate job. You really right. don't. You, you, no, you don't. You're selling yourself and you have one client. And you're, like, well, you're renting yourself, right? What's that? You're just renting yourself to this company. Yeah. And then, and they don't have any obligation to renew that lease. They could just be like, we're done. Here's your, if, if you're lucky, a severance and don't let the door hit you on the way right. out. Right. And, you know, um, if they could go out of business, I mean, having one client is has got to be the, the riskiest position to ever be in. I, I know a friend of mine, uh, his dad had a had his own business and he had like one major client. And when that went fucking belly up, like the whole yep. business just implodes. And, you know, we really want to change people's mentality when it comes to that. Like being an entrepreneur is it, it's scary. Um, yeah, I, I haven't. Even, I mean, I don't. I haven't even completely done it yet, so I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But um, I'm trying. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm sort of half in, half out right now. And but just to have like multiple streams of income and to be able to get those from anywhere in the world, uh, you don't even need the, an internet connection. You just need a camera. Um, I mean, internet helps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but a lot of the things that I do could be remote. So like I, I have photographed on a remote island in the Philippines. Um, actually, I, I, that was a photo and a filmmaking assignment. I was shooting for a um, 
a nonprofit which was documenting rebuilding efforts from Super Typhoon Haiyan. I think that was in 2014 where the uh, winds reached 160 miles an hour and was so fast that it took the, the fronds off the palm trees. So I actually have footage of being on this beach where it's just this like stick coming out of the beach <laughs> and there's like nothing on the tree. And you just get there and you just kind of stare at this tree and you're just like, how the fuck did that happen? Yeah, dude, I, I've never seen uh, obviously a storm that big, but just being in uh, Mexico over the summer for the rain season, these tropical right. storms that blow through here They're are no joke. very impressive. Oh, yeah. they're no joke. They're, you know, they're blowing these palapas into the, the pool. And these things weigh like 50, 60 pounds. And they're not, you know, mm. they're, uh, man, and the, the, just the lightning and the thunder. It was like horrifying at one point. My, right. my friend was on the balcony with us and the lightning was so close that he thought like he jumped back into the place because it was just, it felt like it was right there. Uh, wow. it, it's some pretty impressive stuff. It makes some good photography. Not, not enough to make you miss Chicago though, right? Yeah. Oh no, it was totally worth You know, it was just every, every couple of weeks at like four o'clock in the morning, it would blow through and uh, it, it'd be gone in like 30 minutes. But man, it was, uh, yeah, I, I broke a bunch of doors here because I had like wow. all the doors open and the winds would change and they would slam them shut. I had, oh, to, get, wow. I had to get this door <laughs> fixed like four different times. Um, but yeah, I remember trying to take some video of it with my phone and it was just like a complete disaster. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, most of it is in is like, it, with the experience comes um, the very quick reaction time to planning how this thing is gonna tell a story. So, you know, sometimes when I'm shooting documentary work, I could be in a village uh, with perhaps maybe only one other person that speaks English. So you're kind of just, you know, making your way here, you don't really know what's going to happen. And you just kind of get good at reading situations so that you know how to react very quickly. And then you, you know how to like, uh, what angles would, would require or what special techniques, maybe it could be super slow motion to get something cool out of what you're seeing, to be able to tell a quick story out of it. And I know how many shots I need to make a sequence. Whereas, you know, if you, if you're inexperienced, then you just don't know like you're just reacting to what's happening in the same way that, you know, just like a bystander is just like your, your, your mouth is agape. Like you don't know what you're doing. Uh, and, and that's often why you see like that, that amateur footage on CNN or whatever, where they, they just like take stuff from TikTok or whatever. And it's like shaky and it's all over the place. And then like the person, like something really crazy happens and the camera just like looks at the ground and you're just like, you, I know when I see that, I'm like, that person is shocked by what's happening they're not able to override the sense of their, what their brain is saying and, and just like keep it in frame, you know, even if you're just using your phone. Yeah. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about being homeschooled because you seem like a pretty normal person. I, I thought it was like weird. <laughs> say, don't believe the lies. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Any, uh, any sense of adjustment that I have has been <laughs> an overriding <laughs> all the oddness that's deep under the surface. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah. Being homeschooled is interesting because I, I'm actually a big homeschool uh, or a homeschool advocate. Um, I actually think that it's a great way to do things. Um, when I was a kid and I'm 38. So when I was a kid, um, there were not a lot of homeschooled people. So it, it was way less common than it is now. 
And in particular, after lockdown COVID era, you know, the amount of homeschoolers that we have now is, uh, I think it's gone up like four to 600%. And I don't mean the way some people say homeschool, how they were like, well, I'm working from home and I'm homeschooling my kids because all their classes are over Zoom and there's no one to help them with this complicated work. That that's like what people mean when they say homeschool now, like you're not homeschooling your kid unless you're choosing the curriculum and then sitting down with them and setting their goals with them and all this stuff. If you're still submitting assignments and someone else is grading it, you're not homeschooling your kid, you're supervising. So let's make sure we know defining terms. Um, homeschooling works out really well for self-driven students. Um, I would, there's, there's different kinds, you know, there's homeschool and then there's like unschooling, which, you know, like in libertarianism, we have minarchism and ANCAP, like there's different variations of how little oversight there is. Um, you know, unschooling, you basically don't have a curriculum or anything formal. The child completely self-directs and chooses what they want to do. Um, so like Ben Franklin is like a historical unschooler. He had no formal education. He and some of the kids in his town basically just like we want to learn whatever it is you know and they make up make up a topic then they go and they find someone who knows how to teach it and they just learn it uh and and that is actually a great way to try out different things because you're basically learning things from experts whereas like you can have your eighth grade teacher and you have you know nine or ten different people within the school who teach you different subjects but most of the time that you spend is varying from room to room you know you get to a room and then there's attendance and then you maybe dig into really some hardcore stuff for 20 minutes and then everyone knows that class is ending so they start putting their stuff in their bag and then they're out the door for the last you know last few minutes so not a whole lot of actual work gets done and that's why there's so much homework that's assigned uh, I'm not a big proponent of homework I think homework is mostly stupid but if there's something that is if it's self-directive, it's something that I'm really interested in. And that's typically why the arts have a lot of um, time for homework, because you're, you're kind of like spending time contemplating on what you want to accomplish and what you want to do with it. You, you rationalize it, you plan it out, and then you execute it. So it takes time to do. But, you know, with algebra or whatever it else is, you know, like, I don't know how much homework you really need if you're away from the expert who's there to explain it to you. Um, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. 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 So... So as I got older, um, I became more of an unschooler. I didn't really have so much formal education in the high school years. There were certain things that I were, I was interested. I'm very interested in history. Um, I had no grasp whatsoever of math because it never made any sense to me. And I basically just refused to learn it. I got to geometry and I was just like, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I hate it. <laughs> and then, and then I, uh, I, I, I'm a big baseball nerd. So I got into baseball and I started learning statistics. And all of a sudden it made sense to me because there was some kind of practical application on how this could work. Yeah. It was like trying to, trying to calculate, you know, whatever batting averages or slugging percentages, or, you know, like a player's value to a team with how much power versus maybe having a really low batting average. So now all of a sudden it was making sense to me. And so that kind of clicked later on in my life. I was like, you know, if you explain things in a way that is tangible and makes sense to people, then all of a sudden, like they have a desire to know it, you know, because how many of us were terrible students in school and then go on to be successful business people or, 
um, I like, I like money. I'm a capitalist and, and being able to see like money that comes into my ledger versus money that goes out of my ledger. And, and then, you know, you compound that with like your, um, your output for how many hours of labor you put into it or how expensive your tools are and, uh, how you can get more out of cheaper tools to make more profit, right? Like these are all things that make total sense to me because they're practical and because it hits me in a way that I'm interested. So, you know, as a homeschooler, that stuff is open to the parent to, cause you know, your student, you know, your child and you'd know what they're interested in. And if, if like the only thing that they're interested in is like animals, you know, then like, all right, let's, let's talk about biology from the perspective of being a veterinarian or whatever it is, you know, um, there's all different kinds of things. You could have a student who doesn't care about history whatsoever, but you can find the angle that they're interested in and then attack it from that way. That's a great way of putting it. I mean, you, you spend so much time in subjects that are, are completely meaningless to, you know, yeah. I, I struggled. Potentially I hated math, hated it. And I remember I was doing some homework one night and like, I could, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. It, it, it was geometry or something like that, you know, and mm-hmm. um, maybe checking out. I don't know how, how high up in math I actually went. I can't even fucking remember, <laughs> but like, I, so I asked my dad over, my dad's a really smart guy. He's good at math. And I'm like, can you help me with this problem? And like, we tried it for like 25 minutes or something. He's like, fuck it. I, I, I'm like, I don't know how old it was at the time. He's like, I'm 58 years old. I've made it this far without having to do shit like that. I'm living right. proof that you are never going to have to yes, deal with this. Exactly. And man, it'd be, it just makes so much more sense to focus on the things that um, not only interest you, but actually matter to wh- what you're going to be doing with the rest of your life. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, especially like, um, so like I can't do my own taxes. I'll, I'll admit that publicly. Uh, but I also, they're, they're a little more complicated than, than someone who just works for a company as like a single income because I, I own my business and like there's tons of like schedules of all this stuff. Right. I hire an accountant. I just pay someone. He does it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I mean, need to know how to do this. No, you 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 got to focus on what you're good at and and what brings in you know brings home the bacon and farm everything else out to somebody else who, where that's their specialty. I mean, your time is the the most valuable resource you have, and uh, right. why you know why struggle through something that you suck at that you hate doing um, totally. that you could just pay somebody else to do. It. I mean, that's what the the money's there for. Exactly. That's the division of labor. You know, we talk about it in, in libertarianism and libertarian economics. And, and you know what? I'm really interested in economics, but yet again, suck at math and I can't do it. But at the same time, when I read, uh, you know, like Rothbardian takes on economics, like it makes sense to me because it's, it's like coupling it with that humanity aspect of, of our motivation and getting people uh, their desires and their personal choices you know now all of a sudden it's become super tangible it's not just looking at like the m3 or whatever you know just like whatever like who cares like the gdp like i get we this is all so abstract and doesn't even matter in the end anyway because it's it all just is is just funny business with how you run the numbers and the kinds of things you include and don't include yeah. Oh yeah. The GDP is such a crock of shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a, a topic for another podcast for sure. Yeah. Not this one. <laughs> um, now what, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on is because you've been working with the great Scott Horton yep. on, on this video project for his new book, right? Yes. 
What's uh, tell us a little about a little bit about that and uh, what it was like working with Scott and everything. So, uh, so Scott just came out with a new book um, called "Enough Already: Time to End the War on Terrorism," and it is a uh, just a storytelling of the war on terrorism from the Jimmy Carter years up to today, and it's it's very recent up until. Um, I believe the Biden inauguration or a couple of weeks into the Biden presidency. So it's very up to date. So that's how like he was rewriting and adding stuff to the last minute it was about to go to press. And we were working on the video. Actually, I should back up. Uh, So I first um, contacted Scott when he announced that he was writing this book. Uh, I heard him on an episode of Tom Woods saying that, you know, I'm I'm working on this book that that Tom had actually inspired him to write like three or four years ago before he wrote Fool's Errand. And um, the uh, the book was such a massive undertaking trying to explain all this really complex and I mean like the word complex is an understatement it's it's so extremely complicated uh, all the different players and the different factions and the infighting and the backbiting and you know like multiple presidencies doing and undoing what the previous administrations had done across the planet and I was thinking like we need something visual for for people like me to be able to understand what we're talking about because so frequently, if you're familiar with Scott, he he knows the material so well that it's like equivalent to like an atomic physicist trying to just like run you through how a nuclear warhead is built or something. <laughs> and, and you just, you, you're lost in the first five minutes. Yeah, no, that is like, I love Scott, but yeah. man, my eyes just glaze over when he just starts <laughs> rattling off all this stuff. And like, he'll talk for like five straight minutes. And I'll yeah. have no idea what he just said. I'll have to listen to it like three or four times to sort of yeah. get and all the, these and players the co- together in my head and like, what the hell yeah. is going on over there? And uh, yeah, and I'm definitely a visual learner too. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm really glad you you uh, took it <laughs> So So when I took it on, I was thinking, because I know exactly what you're saying, the, the eye glaze over thing. And this is not like an insult whatsoever to Scott. It's just, it's a testament to his level of expertise, like it's yeah. off the charts. And I mean, I know, uh, cause I'm very self analytical and self-aware. So I'm, I was thinking, like, I listen to him talk, right? And you're like, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. And then like, he'll say something. And then all of a sudden, like I go into my mind castle and I start thinking about, oh wow, the implications and the connections and this guy and that guy. And then like, by the time, like the white fuzz in my ears start to come back to normal, he's like, four minutes down. And I'm like, right. crap, what did I miss? I have to go back again. So I was like, we need to like slow this down and put the pictures on the screen because when you say Ahmad Shah Massoud, I need a second before that like has the recall in my mind or like there's like, how complicated is this? Consecutive Ayatollahs in Iran was the Ayatollah Khomeini and then Khomeini. Okay, I guarantee you there are so many people out there who think it's the same guy who's led Iran for like 60 years. (laughs) Um, It's not. It's two different guys. It's the Ayatollah Khomeini, which is the one who came in in the early years, you know, in the Reagan years, and then uh, who came after the Shah Reza Pahlavi, and then he handed over power. I don't even know what year. I think it was maybe like 
15 years ago or something. That's the Ayatollah Khamenei, K-H-A. So, um, you know, with that in mind, I was thinking like we just need to kind of slow this down, make them very digestible, little tidbits that you can pull up on your phone for a refresher, you know, like when you get into these conversations with people, your friends, your family members, you know, you're at the barbecue and this topic comes up and they're just, you know, maybe someone's like, I, I'm glad we went into Iraq because of the weapons of mass destruction. And, and you're just like, dude, you still believe that? Well, all right, hold on a second. Let me pull this up and I'll scrub to the point in the Iraq war video showing you that the weapons of mass destruction are actually just old chemical weapons that Reagan and Bush sold to, to, to Saddam Hussein, you know, in the 80s. And I mean, Bush, when he was vice president under Reagan, right? And uh, that it's actually just the same crap that's been buried in the sand for the last 40 years. So, you know, the weapon, the WMDs, all it is, is just rotten old mustard gas canisters. And we can show you the pictures and we can show you the article of, of them being sold. You know, so like, I wanted to make this something that you can just save the playlist on your phone and be able to just like shoot it out, share it with people use it as refreshers to remind yourself as to what the, the uh, key points are because it's so complex and so complicated. And we all have lives to live. We don't have the time to be able to spend every single day reading these articles. And that's why Scott exists. He serves that very valuable function. <laughs> yeah. So I emailed him and, I, and he was very receptive to the idea. I went down there and uh, we shot the entire series. It's 14 videos in one day, in true Scott Horton fashion, and if you watch the video, his hair doesn't move. He's wearing the same wrinkly shirt <laughs> all day. <laughs> and we worked from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m., and then we went and had steak. <laughs> Let's take a quick second and pay some bills, shall we? Because I have a new sponsor for the show, relatively new. And I think you guys are really could really benefit from this. The if you haven't been exposed to cryptocurrency or something like that, the CoinBits app could be a great way for you to dip your toe into Bitcoin. And if you haven't heard of them before, maybe you've heard of some of these other popular sort of roundup apps. You know, when you make a purchase that it doesn't end in a complete dollar. You know, ten dollars and fifty cents. Right. They'll take that extra 50 cents. They'll round it up to eleven dollars and they'll take that 50 cents and invest it in something for you. Right. Well, coin the CoinBits app does that, but with Bitcoin. So it takes that extra 50 cents and it buys some Bitcoin for you every week. So all of your purchases, it rounds it up to the nearest dollar and then buys you some Bitcoin. And it could be a great way to sort of dollar cost average your way into uh, the Bitcoin cryptocurrency and they've made it super easy to do. You know, a lot of a lot of this technology stuff is very complicated. You guys know I'm technologically illiterate and I hate dealing with, you know, setting up wallets and doing this and doing that. I don't I don't understand how any of this shit works really, right? They take care of all of that for you. All you have to do is go to coinbitsapp.com/fiction and and set up your account. It's coinbits b is in boy i t s app app.com/fiction. Set up your coinbits account and they'll take care of the rest. Now it's not at the moment it's not an app for your cell phone yet so you got to do this on your computer go to that coinbitsapp.com slash fiction so they know i sent you and you can start automatically investing your spare change into bitcoin every week without even really being aware that you're doing it 
and psychologically, at least for me, as soon as you break a certain, you know, threshold in the dollar amount, right? 35 cents, 45 cents, 55 cents. At some point, mentally, I'm already thinking that it costs whatever the next dollar is, right? If it's $10.45, okay, I just spent $11. So why not take that 55 cents and buy some Bitcoin? Um, That that spare change can add up over time. And who knows what's going to happen with Bitcoin? I mean, you guys know I'm not the the biggest Bitcoin proponent, but it's certainly near all-time highs right now at about 54,000. And there's there's people saying it, it's going to go to millions. It could go to zero. So this is your obvious disclaimer that don't invest anything that you aren't prepared to lose. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. This could be the high in Bitcoin. It could go to zero. And the other thing is that I am not in any way, shape or form licensed or authorized to give you investment advice. I am just telling you simply that this is a way for you to invest in Bitcoin should you be interested in that and it's suitable for your investment needs. So if you've been thinking about investing in Bitcoin, you didn't know how much to invest or when to time the market or something like that, you can kind of forget about all that and go to coinbitsapp.com slash fiction and just dip your toe in the water, start taking little nibbles away at this Bitcoin market here. As far as investing goes, I think spending your spare change slowly over time is a relatively low risk proposition. So if that's something that you think is suitable for your portfolio, Go check them out. All right. Where were we? So uh, well, how long is each video then? Like five or six minutes? Yeah, we try. I tried to keep them short, but you know, so like when we were talking about the, the pre-production, I was like, we got to script this out because I want to make sure that we stay within these little nuggets of time. Uh, and we started out the first ones like five or four and a half or so. And then, you know, there's about five or six in a row that are about between five and six minutes, which are which is great, very digestible. And then you get to um, Iran, which is, uh, I think, seven minutes. And then it gets to Iraq War two and three and Syria. And those are, they blow it out of the water. Now okay. we're, we're talking 10. The Yemen video, I think, is 13 minutes, you know, but it's, it's, I really did my best to try to shorten it up. He talked for 30 minutes on Yemen. I cut it down to 13. So, I mean, give me give me some credit. <laughs> yeah, well, so it's basically like um, a video Blinkist for this book, right? That, that company yeah. Blinkist, that sort That's of a great way to put talking it. points. It's a great way to put it. It's, it's way more um, linear than the book is. The book bounces around quite a bit because... For good reason, you know, because he is telling you the bones of the story and then he kind of goes into depth and whenever a callback is required in the text, he'll he'll bring you back to the relevant text, you know, so he doesn't talk about Jimmy Carter just once. There's not just a Jimmy Carter chapter, you know, starts out talking that way and then he'll go forward and then be like, now remember, you know, in Afghanistan, this happened because of Carter, blah, blah, blah. Um, or 9-11, you know, it could be go back to Carter because September 11th occurred uh, because the Mujahideen was supported by the CIA in Afghanistan to repel the Soviet Union invasion. So this, the Mujahideen had a, a little known guy named Osama bin Laden <laughs> as a commander who ended up going back to his hometown and seeing in Saudi Arabia and seeing 
that there's U.S. bases now being set up permanently in Saudi Arabia on their holy land. This is highly offensive to them. And that led to, you know, within, within 15 or 18 years, you now have terror attacks because with the stated goal to try to annoy the Americans so much to get them to pull out and withdraw. Yeah, little did they know that we can uh, put up with this shit for <laughs> in perpetuity, apparently. Yeah, right. They underestimated that big time. <laughs> oh, man, we're going to build our bases even harder. <laughs> yeah, seriously. We're going to. Yeah, I know. You know, and it's it's one of those situations where you just like stop helping, please. You know, because you're you're just not you're not helping. Just stop helping. You're making this so much worse than we ever thought it could possibly be. This whole episode and the reason, you know, they're all connected by threads. It's, it's a tapestry. It's not one linear line where one event leads to another. It, it spirals out of control through this mosaic where you have, you know, the efforts that happen in, uh, in Afghanistan in, in the 70s to repel the, or 70s into the 80s to repel the Soviet Union takes you back to Saudi Arabia where they're propped up by the United States uh, in order to kind of needle Iran. And then you uh, get into Iraq uh, with the Iran-Iraq war. The United States supports Iraq against Iran, but then sometimes they switch sides and they help Iran fight against Iraq because they don't like Saddam Hussein so much. And so they want to keep them kind of at each other. And then you end up with going back to Iraq and saying, we're going to overthrow Saddam Hussein, who's a Sunni. We get rid of him. And then Iran comes in and says, well, we're going to fill that vacuum with our people. I mean, do you see how like convoluted oh, this is? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if anybody has tried to diagram this before. I'm sure they have. Oh, um, yeah. Like that meme, the guy yeah, with all the, the strings. Charlie from uh, It's Always Sunny or something. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at this board of shit. Just like, Holy what cow, the that would be an on? undertaking. Pepe <laughs> <Hey>, Silvio. <laughs> um. Yeah. So what was it like working with Scott other than the fact that he just wanted to do it all in one day? Yeah. Besides the fact he's a madman. Um, <laughs> great. It was really good. Uh, he is, um, he's very intense about what he does, but um, you know, like, uh, so as a filmmaker, I want to tell a good story. I want to make things compelling and I want to keep them interesting. And so there were a few times, but I'm, I'm also very like, I'm, I'm amicable, you know, amiable. So I'll, I'll go along with kind of like whatever, you know, if, if it's going to cause an issue, then I'll be like, I'll just say, yes, it's fine. You know, there was a few times where I'm like, well, this isn't necessary. We can gloss over this or, you know, he misspoke, but I'm like, yeah, but no one's going to know that you misspoke because, you know, you, you clarify it 30 seconds later or whatever. And he just wasn't having it. Like he would not have, he, he he doesn't accept anything less than the best. And, and, you know, like you go back and forth a few times and I just like, all right, fine. I respect that. You know, like I, there's no way I'm, I'm going to like hold my ground and be like, no, I don't want this to be better. It's <laughs> <laughs> a weird hill to die on. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it's just kind of like, uh, like here's an example. There's a couple of, couple of funny examples of his perfectionism, which, I can totally relate. You know, I have a little bit of OCD in me, um, a lot of OCD in me. So I can understand a lot of these things, but like there's a, there's a map that I use. Um, it was like a stock art map that I bought. And then I, I added color to kind of divide the countries. And I, I think it's in, um, 
the Reagan chapter, maybe oh, it's in the Iran chapter, I think, where we talk about the Iran-Iraq war. And over on the left, on the West, you can see Israel, which doesn't have a, um, a line for Gaza. Okay. It's just, it's just a little rectangle for Israel. Right? But we're zoomed out to the entire Middle East, all the way to like Afghanistan. <laughs> like it's a big space we're talking about here. And he's like, we can't use that map. It doesn't, it doesn't separate Gaza. And I was like, oh, homie. Um, all right. What if I add a line? <laughs> I'm just draw it in with a marker. I'm not gonna add. I'm not gonna find a map that specific. So I actually just went in and I I just like cut it out. And he's like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> and then um, when we were doing the Yemen video, um, he was he were talking about the uh, the casualties and the different people who had been injured and and killed in this video in, in the um in the airstrikes. And then he was saying how they bombed the water treatment plants. And then he said, and the goats in the field. And then later on, he goes, oh, shit, I should have said sheep. And I was like, I'm sure some sheep and goats were hanging out together. Like, I'm sure goats got killed, too. <laughs> and that, like that went on for a couple of days. <laughs> I was just like, all right, can we let the can we let the sheep thing go? And he's like, yeah, all right, fine. We'll let the sheep go. <laughs> Man, that that must be exhausting to be in his head. <laughs> it's yeah, I would think, but he he manages it pretty well. Yeah, have you um have you done any other uh, books like this? Any anything like this before? Or was this the first time? Yeah, uh, it's the first time doing like a video adaptation of a book. Uh, I've never done this before. Um, and what was funny was that we are interesting about this project is that we we did it in parallel. He was still writing the book. So we we shot this based on the outline of what the book was going to be and it was still in his head. So he had he had written quite a bit when we shot this and it was in uh, September 2019. But he ended up throwing out the whole manuscript because of what we shot and after like two months of the editing process and seeing like how easy it was to follow he 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 understood my point at at that point he really understood what i was getting at and trying to make this simple for people and it's still not like this is still not like elementary level like it's still pretty hard to to grasp like you still need to have a, a pretty high level of understanding of the world but um, I, I think that it can bring anybody in as a starter block, right? But it, um, so he saw my point and, and he actually threw it out and then restarted it without without all the footnotes and all the references. Now he was just telling the story of how we got here, which I just think is just super useful and valuable. Um, so I'm proud of that and that I had um, an impact there. Um, that's pretty but cool. I've, I've done other films before. You know, I, I wrote and directed a documentary about uh, uh, Cambodia. Uh, I covered kind of the history of the Khmer Rouge. I shot that there. And um, central characters there are actually some Christian minis- uh, missionaries that have a house for a uh, house of refuge for boys and girls for, um, you know, either are orphans or just uh, they live out in the uh, rice paddies in the provinces. So it gives them a chance for education and a safe place to live in the city. Um, and I've done a lot of nonprofit <laughs> documentary work and, uh, I shot a feature film, uh, three years ago. So, uh, you know, 
done film for a long time, but this is the first time I've done a, a specifically a book adaptation. Yeah. Have you thought about doing any other books? Like you could be like the libertarian <laughs> video book guy. Yeah, I don't know how profitable that is. <laughs> um, not, I mean, that's not to say I wouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, you, you said yourself, a labor of love. Come on, man. Yes, you are 100% right on that. Start emailing Tom Woods. Got like yeah, books. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a cool, it's a, you're right. Yes, you're right. Uh, I would love to do that. I think that would be cool. Um, you know, I would, I would be interested to see if there was any money in it to just because, you know, like this is a lot of time. This was a year and a half of work. But it was my idea. I proposed it to him knowing that he couldn't, you know, there was no funding in this. It was just, I wanted to do it. I just thought it would be really cool and it was needed. Um, so I just did it in between all my paying work. You know, I would, I would shoot a job, edit it, deliver it, and then get back to working on this. And whenever I had some free time, it was, you know, about two days, two to three days to edit one video, send it back to him. And then his 10 pages of notes <laughs> would come back. <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's funny that is funny well uh where where do we uh find the these videos how do we how do we watch them all they're all on youtube for free um <clears throat> just go on youtube and uh type in scott horton enough already and there's a playlist that's readily available it's 14 videos they're also natively uploaded to uh facebook so if you want to share those videos on Facebook, you can um, hopefully get a little bit more reach. You can post the YouTube links to a comment on a Facebook thread, and that should be fine. But if you were to make a post on you on Facebook with a YouTube link, like directly in there, you get like practically zero visibility. Facebook will punish you for posting. Uh, I don't know if it's pure just YouTube links. I think that might be the case, but in particular, these videos get absolutely no traction. That's and, and I posted, um, you know, I was posting the videos and then like three in, I was like, this is so disappointing. Like no one's even looking at these things. And then I, I just posted a text link just being like, oh man, I'm really disappointed. I put a year and a half into this and, and I'm not getting even any comments. And then I got like 20 comments just being like, I haven't even seen this. What are you talking about? That's just, that's, that's remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I know very little about how all that stuff works, but the amount of control that they have to just oof, like silence people, it's, it's right. A big problem. It, it, it's a problem. That's, that's an understatement. Yeah. It's a major problem because, you know, we want to talk about not getting censored and having a free voice, but they can still shadow ban the crap out of you. You know, so like, sure, maybe you won't get kicked off Twitter, kicked off Facebook. They'll just throttle you down to zero. That's effectively the same thing right. or worse, because now you're not a martyr. Now you're just someone yelling into the wind. You're <laughs> nobody like you're, you know, like you and it's demoralizing because it makes you feel like no one cares. Yeah. Yeah. That might actually be more effective. <laughs> not that, not it is. You totally. A good point. Yeah. Yeah. And you make someone feel you make someone feel like they're crazy, you know, because they're like, this is the most important issue. Like, like for example, on your last show, you were talking about um, uh, uh, Mar um, Meghan Markle and Harry, right? And then yeah. how like the press is more concerned about there might be a racist in the royal family 
then there probably is a pedophile in the royal family. Yeah. Right? That's unbelievable. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the things that they, they focus on and then the, the stuff that actually gets out there and that gains traction. Um, yeah. You know, it has to be a concerted effort to just confuse everybody and keep us distracted. Yes, I agree. And I also think that a lot of what we deal with is reach because um, right before we were talking, I was watching on um, a, a Vice News clip about Somalia, and I was I was kind of curious, like, what's their what's their angle? How are they how are they approaching this? You know, and Vice has a huge budget and reach; like, they can embed reporters in these like insane places, and they get access. And there's like a quarter million views on this video. Um, I got more than a little more than halfway through it, and they're you know, it's, it's kind of lightweight, you know, and that, but that's kind of the way vice does things is that it's all human interest and they just show you stuff. And then they have some douchey Brooklyn hipster explain it to you like you're an idiot. And, um, but they don't actually get to the point of it. Everything's left so open-ended and, and, but that's got enormous reach. I have a video on Somalia and it's going to tell you everything about how the United States got involved and then the damage that was caused and the side effects and the implications. And that won't even get remotely the reach, you know, we're, we're working on the SEO now to try to like bypass some of that stuff, but it really requires people to go in there, like, and comment, and then try to share it around because that's what uh, we can bypass the SEO that way. Do you go over any how to do any of that stuff in the the classes that you teach for photo IQ, or is that strictly just the photography? Angle? Yeah, no, I, I no, that is actually that's beyond me. That's over my head. We're okay. talking about division of labor earlier. Yeah, and I, I decided several years ago that that stuff was I was never going to get to the point where to be an expert. Um, yeah, because my my profession is so complicated that I need to spend the bulk of my my time learning how to be a better filmmaker. Um, instead of learning how to bypass Google's, you know, blockade on stuff they don't like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, hopefully, and there are, there's other people, especially in our movement who are good at that stuff. You know, one of the guys who volunteered to help us film, he, he ran the second camera while I was directing his name's Kelly Conley. And, uh, he's actually like really good at SEO and, and knows all about that stuff. So he's actually been helping us with, you know, keywording and tagging and, you know, making sure that we have the right repetition of the words that are in the title and in the subject and in the in the keywords and you know, like all this keyword scoring. It's very, very complicated. It's way, way more complicated than it was when I was starting out my career. It was just like make a cool video, throw it on YouTube, and you'll get views. Now it's like make a cool video, throw it on YouTube, and then make sure you also nail the SEO, and then you might get views if they like the content. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it, it sounds like a headache. It is. <laughs> yeah, it is. Totally is. Yeah. Well, um, we're coming up on time here. I don't know how uh, how much longer we can go, but um, is there is there anything else you need to plug? How do we, uh, how do people get a hold of you? How do they uh, how do they get to Photo IQ? What's our promo code? Is it Fiction? Yeah. Yeah, okay. promo code fiction for an enormous 20% off. That's right. Yeah, you bump, you doubled the discount. 
people got to take advantage of this because I'm a huge proponent of just having skill, like more skills that you can use. And just even like, no matter what your business is, it seems to me that you're going to have to do some sort of digital photography. Totally. I mean, if you have a website. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just like, it's not just like the arts end of it, you know, like I'm a commercial artist because I take people's products and I make them beautiful. And, you know, like it can be something like I did a, a, a product shot of a, a vape pen package, like uh, a couple months ago. And like, they're just like, we, we like neon colors. And I, I did like this whole neon color fade in the background and use like, like, um, filament line to float the box and all it you know so got it right all on camera there's nothing that was 3d or retouching all i did was just remove the filament line that was it but like everything was done right in camera and that's what you get when you hire a professional photographer but i'm trying to teach people how to get you know three and four steps above your iphone shots you know i teach how to use a real camera i don't teach you know, phone photography, that's not really my expertise or my interest anyway. Uh, I'm trying to teach the uh, the art of it. Um, but it's also how to document your own life. You know, if you have children, if you're a grandparent and you've got, you know, grandkids and you're trying to, you want to document the lives of those around you. Um, you know, like right here over, over my shoulder, that's my dad. And he passed away six years ago. So like I have... <clears throat> excuse me, I have these cool photos of my dad working. You can see, like I just said before, he's a blue collar. He's working on a truck right there. And I have these like close-up shots of his hands, like wrenching and stuff. And, and that's how I remember him. Um, and in the, in the portrait module, I tell a whole story about, it's actually kind of, you know, it's like a five or six minute story about how like we are responsible to document our family's journey. And, and I tell the story about like, him passing away and then making this memorial out of all the photos that I took of him and how cool it was that I had that, you know? And, and like, if I hadn't, if I didn't have those photos, like that wouldn't exist. And then I also say like, you have an obligation to let your family photograph you because everyone knows that person who's like, oh no, don't take my picture. And then you go to take the picture, they put their hands up or they duck or they turn around. Like, don't be that person, let them take a picture. Someday you won't be there and they're gonna want that photo. Oh, I hate taking pictures. <laughs> yeah, but I always dude. do it, but reluctantly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to like it. <laughs> you're, you're not doing it for you. You're doing it for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And, and you can't really put a price on that sort of stuff, you know, no. and, and someday you're going to look back and if you didn't do it, you're going to wish that you had. And if you exactly. did, you'll be glad that you did it. Exactly. All right, man. Well, this was fun. Thanks for coming on. Um, it's photoiq.co. Is that right? Yep, photoiq.co. And then uh, if anybody needs my, you know, my, if you're interested in my commercial portfolio, it's guscantavero.com, uh, G-U-S-C-A-N-T-A-V-E-R-O. And you can, you can see me on Instagram, all that stuff. Cool. All right. Give him a follow, buy his product and learn how to take some photos for Christ's sake. Yeah. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks. I appreciate it. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the great Gus Cantavero. I probably just butchered his last name, but a uh, real cool guy, man. I've gotten to know him a little bit over the last couple of weeks because he's been drinking with me on Fridays for a little bit. And, you know, it, it might not seem like uh, he's offering something that you need, but 
you know, just try it out. Um, you never know when these skills are going to come through and, and be something that you, uh, you really value and that are valuable, uh, marketable skills in the, uh, in the economy. So, um, I, I always think that you can never know too many things. So yeah, I, I would definitely check out what he has to offer. He, uh, he really seems to know what he's doing. Uh, he's got a lot of experience and I think he's pretty good at articulating himself and explaining things. So I wouldn't be surprised if he can break down some pretty complex ideas into very palatable, um, classes for you guys. And you can do it at your own leisure and everything like that. So yeah, just go check him out at photo IQ and, uh, join us. You know, you can join me and Gus usually for a drink every other Friday if you become a supporting listener of the show or you are a top contributor for the month in the private Facebook group. So join the private Facebook group as well and uh, support the show by going to peddlingfictionpodcast.com. And if you guys can do all that for me, I will be back next week, hopefully Monday, with a brand new episode for you. And until then, you guys know the drill. Just keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.